How are you all uh, doing with all the different uh, teachers up here these days? I saw somebody thumbing through the bulletin frantically trying to figure out who they were getting this morning. You know, four weeks ago, David taught, then I taught, and then Dennis taught. Last week, Jackson taught us, and here I am again. You, you never knew who you're going to get from week to week. But I hope you realize that that's not all bad. In fact, that's good. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's good. It gives us a, an opportunity as a church to, to recognize that it's God's Word that matters. It's His Word that's consistent. The particular messenger, the, the teacher, doesn't matter all that much. Now, you may have preferences. Everybody does to some extent. And all of the teachers are different. Some of us are more different than others. But we are all different personalities, different life situations, different styles, different emphasis. We all belong to the same Lord, and and each of us desire to bring His Word to you so that you can be built up and nourished and strengthened by it. Now, that's the way a, a church should operate. That's the way a church should function as a body, each individual part working together for the common goals. You know, when we uh, started thinking through what we wanted to uh, focus on during this time of transition, we realized that one of the most important things that we could talk about is how a body works together, each individual part doing its part. So we designed our study through Ephesians to take a break right here, to look more uh, closely at, at spiritual gifts. Now, last week, Jackson taught us from Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and that's about spiritual gifts, uh, how using our gifts is, is designed to, to uh, be an expression of and to enhance our unity together. Well, we're going to follow that up with two more passages this week and next week on spiritual gifts. This week, we're going to look at Romans 12. Next week, 1 Corinthians 12. Ray Stedman uh, once told me, that uh, in his opinion, the most important rediscovery of our age was the rediscovery of spiritual gifts. You see, there, there, there are very few truths that can have the impact on a church when it re, as, as rediscovering spiritual gifts. It's one of the, the most revolutionary concepts have, have an enormous impact on this church, but also on all of this world when churches rediscover their spiritual gifts. There's been a lot of confusion lately about what a church is. A church is not a social club where we come to be associated with people we want to be seen with. Though I have to admit that I am very proud to be associated with all of you. A church is not a political party with uh, uh, the, the goal of, of mobilizing the electorate around some political agenda. But again, uh, it, it, it's appropriate for Christians to have a profound impact on the political process. But a church is the body of Christ. That's who we are. We are His body. And just as Jesus had a profound impact on this world through his physical body 2,000 years ago, he intends to have an even more important, profound impact now through us, his new body. Just like a physical body does what the head tells it to do, 
Uh, the, 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 the hands do what the head tells them to do. The mouth says what the head tells them to say. Feet go where the head wants them to go. So we as Christ's body want to respond to our head. You know, during uh, this transition, we're, we're in the process of looking for a new senior pastor. That doesn't mean we're looking for a new head, a new leader. We still have our head, Jesus Christ. And He is still leading us and directing us and guiding us. This time of transition is not one of waiting around to see who God will bring us to lead us. We are the body of Christ and Christ is here now. Let's let Him lead us. And we have, a, have, have an opportunity right now. We're not a, on hold. We're full steam ahead. This is an exciting time. 35 years ago, John Kennedy called the people of this nation to action. He said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Today I'd like to call all of us to action, to to say, ask not what your church can do for you. Now's the time to ask what you can do for this church. Now's the time we really need each other. Uh, now's the time we need you. Today, I would like to call all of you to action. We are the body of Christ, and Christ is here to lead us. So let's follow Him wholeheartedly, aggressively, like never before. Let's let Him lead us into ministry here and, 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 and in this society, in our homes. Let's let Him do things through us like we've never seen before. This is the opportunity to go for it, to go for it aggressively, to, to throw yourself into ministry, to try new things, to make new commitments, get involved. Well, when we uh, start like this, when we uh, get a locker room pep talk, get all excited, charge out on the field, run into the goalpost. It's real easy to do more damage than good, to, to get started in the wrong place. It's, it's critical that we start in the right place. So turn with me, if you would, to Romans 12, verse 1. This is the right place to start. Romans 12, verse 1. Paul writes, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, pleasing to God which is your spiritual service of worship. You see, we don't start with a commitment to ministry. We start with a dedication to God. And ministry flows out of that. Paul says he urges us to to present our bodies, a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual service of worship. Now, the word spiritual there uh, literally means rational. This is our rational service of worship. Of worship. This is the only rational thing to do. To go on living for ourselves is irrational. When we, when we grasp the mercies of God, when we recognize how helpless we are against the sin that's ingrained in our habits, in our personalities, even in our genetic dispositions, when we, when we see God for who He is, how wise He is, how able, capable He is, how good 
how loving, how generous, how gentle He is. To go on living for ourselves doesn't make sense. Giving ourselves to Him, like Paul said, a a living sacrifice is the only rational response. And what uh, we're to give Him is our bodies. First of all, recognize He doesn't say... uh, Clean it up, fix it up, trim it down, and then give it to Him. He wants you just the way you are. He wants you as is. Now we often feel, well, I don't feel adequate. I'm not worthy of God. Well, as my kids would say, well, duh. You're not. You're not adequate. You're not worthy. Neither am I. None of us are. But that's what God asked for. And that's all we have to give Him. And the the mystery of grace is that He is delighted with you and with me and this gift of ourselves. That's exactly what He wants. He wants you and me just as we are. Now, one of the reasons I think that He asks for our bodies rather than our spirits or our souls It's because he knows we would focus on some abstract religious garbage rather than getting down to the everyday reality of these old bodies, these flesh and bones bodies. He wants these bodies to use to to express his love through. See, he wants these ears to, to listen to somebody, their hurts and their joys. He wants these arms to wrap around someone. He wants this mouth to speak words of comfort or even rebuke or to explain His word to somebody. He wants these faces to smile and to welcome. He wants these hands to to help build a fence or, or to write a check. You see, He wants these flesh and bone bodies. He doesn't want some vague, abstract, spiritual thing, some vague allegiance. He wants these flesh and bones bodies. We're told that this gift is pleasing to God. He likes it. It's exactly what he wants. He wants you just the way you are. Now notice the image that Paul uses for giving our bodies to God. He calls it a living and holy sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Now, the contradiction, the contrast there is intentional. A living sacrifice. Sacrifices are killed. That's the way you offer a sacrifice. You kill it. He wants a living sacrifice. Well, earlier on in Romans, in chapter 6, Paul said, Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. He says, Think of yourselves as dead men. You know, what rights does a dead person have? None. What expectations can a, can a, a dead person have? None. What, what demands for ownership does a dead person make? None. Paul said, think of yourself that way, as, as a dead person. See, this is radical stuff. God isn't playing games here. He wants you completely, no strings attached. the whole thing. See, we want to keep God for Sunday mornings. Give Him a little piece of our lives. And Paul says, that's nuts. Give Him the whole thing. 
For, for you to, to go along and continue to try to keep control of your life and keep God as just a little piece of it means you're just going to continue to flop around, be uh, confused, frustrated, and miserable. See, what Paul is urging us, what he's calling us, is to give ourselves to God totally, unreservedly, with abandon, 100%. I've often heard uh, the uh, picture of an old house used to describe what happens when we give ourselves to God. About five years ago, Becky and I bought an older home. It's not too old. A little older than me, but that's not too old. But uh, as grateful as we are for this house, as much as we like it, there are a lot of parts of it that are a mess. And when we took ownership of that house, we took responsibility for fixing it up. We tore out all the old wallpaper, painted all the rooms, replaced all the windows in the whole house, put a new floor in the kitchen, new uh, shower door, tore out a lot of the shrubs, put in new plants, all that kind of thing. You know, one project at a time, taking time, fulfilling our responsibility to fix it up. But there was one uh, project that was well beyond me. There was one room in that house that was such a mess. It, uh, it rained as hard inside the room as it did outside. And everything I tried to do to fix it just made it worse. That room was not able to do what a house is intended to do, protect from the elements. When a group of people from the church heard about our, our predicament... A bunch of them came over and tore the roof right off of that room. Just four walls, open sky. Unfortunately, on the day we tore the roof off, it snowed. And we had about three inches of snow on, on the floor of that room. But then others from the body came over. Started building a new roof. A lot of people put a lot of time. And now we have this beautiful new roof. This beautiful new room. And the body really came alongside of us. Incidentally, I'd like to thank again all of you, every one of you that uh, that uh, helped out. Your uh, generosity still amazes me. It uh, we are grateful. But you see, when we deed ownership of our bodies, our lives over to God, He takes title and He takes responsibility to start fixing it up. To make that house useful for what it's for. To make our bodies able, useful for what they're intended for. To be used by Him to love others. And He fixes us up one project at a time. And sometimes those projects are hard and painful. Usually He does it just between you and Him. But there are some projects He chooses to bring more of the body in on. They come alongside us with their love and with their skill, and He uses them to rebuild us. That's the way it's supposed to work. But the essential starting place is deeding our lives over to Him, giving Him the ownership and the responsibility for fixing it up, letting Him start the renovation process to have the rights to our home, to our lives. To our bodies. See, unless you do that, no matter how good your intentions, you're going to keep trashing your house, keep trashing your life in one way or another. You don't have the resources to do it right, but He does, and that's exactly what He wants to do. God created you, 
And then He bought you by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has every right to you, but He will not just take you. He will not force you. He waits for you to give ownership over to Him. For you to freely choose to give control of your bodies, of your lives, to Him. Let Him set your priorities. Let Him set your goals. Let Him be in charge of your life. It's been said that one of the problems with the living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. And that's true. See, God has given us freedom. That's the way He wants it. That we have the freedom to give ourselves to Him. But we also have the freedom to renege on that deal. And so it's the reality is that we have to give ourselves to Him repeatedly. To renew that commitment. To hand over control of our lives our lives once again. That's exactly what He's asking of us. And if we'll do that, He will use these bodies, wherever we are, wherever we go, to bring healing, to bring joy, to bring peace, to bring His Word, to bring the truth to the people around us. He wants to use your body to bless this world. Now the challenge, the big problem that we run into if we make a decision to do that is that we suddenly come under enormous pressure from the world. Everyone else is moving in another direction. And they'll look at us like we're crazy, we're fanatics, we're unhealthy. The pressure is going to be enormous. Look at at verse 2, the first part of verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. As J.B. Phillips puts it, don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. See, the words Paul uses here are interesting. The word that he uses for conform and conform to this world is scheme. It's a word we get our word scheme from. Because that's what the world offers. One scheme after another. One plan after another. Maybe it's materialism, thinking that you're going to find satisfaction by acquiring and accumulating things or or, or money. But open your eyes. That doesn't satisfy. Or another scheme is is self-assertion, demanding your rights, getting what's coming to you. And we think that by doing that, we'll finally find peace. We'll finally find satisfaction and self-respect. But the reality is we find ourselves just empty and Lonely, isolated, selfish, hateful, bitter. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a time for standing up for what's right and what's appropriate. And there is even a time to require that people treat you with the dignity uh, that's due one of God's precious possessions. But that's different than thinking that the world owes you something or or demanding that people treat you the way you want to be treated. Another scheme of the world is, is this idea that if you, if, you, if you dig down deep enough, you'll find that divine spark and you'll know all the answers. But when we try that, when we dig down deep, we just come up with a handful of ashes. You see, the pressure is on one way or another to become selfish, self-preoccupied, defensive, judgmental, bitter. See, the world is trying to squeeze you into its own mold. 
The word that Paul uses for transform and be transformed by the renewal of your mind is metamorphe. The word we get metamorphosis from. The movement from a caterpillar to a butterfly. A radical change. A radical renewal. A permanent change. See, God does this by renewing our minds. He brings us and teaches us the truth. And it changes the way we think. It changes the way we look at life. It changes the way we act. See, we read His Word and we think about it. We gather together in growth groups and Bible studies to study His Word. We come together to be taught. And as we respond to His words, as we ask Him to begin to change us, to make us more like we see Him to be in Scripture, He changes the way that we think. He changes the way we see everything. We begin to see Him for who He is. To see how wise, how brilliant, beyond comprehension, how loving, how good, how generous. We begin to see ourselves as we really are. Wounded, hurting, in need, yet profoundly loved. Empowered by His Spirit to become bold, courageous instruments in His hands. And we begin to look at other people differently. We no longer see them as our competitors for our happiness, our jobs, our parking spaces. We begin to see them as individuals like us. With the same needs and feelings and hurts and fears. People whom God loves and people whom God fully intends to love using this body that I've given to Him. Using your bodies as you give them to Him. And the amazing thing is that as we go through this process, as we have God begin to change our thinking, and as we begin to let Him use us to love others, we discover that it's great. Second half of verse 2 says, That you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The word prove there means to test and find out. It says you, you test and find out. That the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. You try it. And you find out you like it. It's good. Literally, that word good means healthy. See, we always uh, tend to think that if I really give myself completely to God, that'll be kind of unhealthy. That'll be psychologically imbalanced. And if I start to love like He does, that's obviously unhealthy. But when we try it, we discover that loving honestly... Tough love, genuine love, is good, and it's right, and it's healthy. We're told God's will is acceptable. Now, that's way too weak of a translation. That word means pleasing, enriching, enjoyable, not in a superficial sense, but in a profoundly satisfying sense. Again, we thought giving ourselves completely to God would be a bummer. It would just be no fun at all. It would just deplete our lives. He'd use us up and would be impoverished emotionally and spiritually and physically. That's not true. It is enriching. And finally, we're told that God's will is perfect, literally complete. Again, we buy into the lie that if you give yourselves completely to God, you're going to get ripped off. You're going to miss out on all the gusto, all of the good stuff in life, all of the freedom. You're going to just be confined to this little box. Can't do anything fun. Can't even smile much. 
See, that's again a lie of the enemy. Because when we give ourselves to God, we discover that His will is full. That, that, that His delight is to give us joy and to give us excitement and to give us uh, interesting things and, and relationships in our lives. See, when we try and find out, we test and find out, we discover that God's will is healthy and it's enriching and it's complete. We don't miss out on a thing. It's life like it was meant to be. A close friend of mine uh, told me about how he went through this process of uh, this experience of, of giving himself to God, a living sacrifice. He told me I could share this with you this morning. But he grew up in, in a believing home. He knew the truth. Uh, even considered himself a Christian. But he could never get beyond this suspicion that was deep in his heart, that to give himself completely to God would be a bummer. It would be a rip-off. He'd miss out on, on all the, the, the excitement of life, all the enjoyment of life, all that the world, all that sin had to offer. And so he kept a firm control of his own life, made his own decisions, uh, uh, sought his own pleasures, did whatever seemed right or felt good to him. But he discovered all that sin had to offer was not worth having. The pain, the emptiness was too deep. And as he was sitting there one day on his couch, feeling the emptiness of these lies, he realized he couldn't resist any longer. And he turned to God. He said, God, I give you my life. Do with it whatever you want. It is yours from here on out, 100%. No strings attached. And he told me how just sitting there on his couch doing nothing, he started to laugh out loud. Because for the first time in his life, he felt satisfied. He felt at peace. He felt complete and whole and right and loved. You see, what he did is exactly what Paul is urging you to do, to give yourself to God completely, a living sacrifice, and discover that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, verses 3 through 8, Paul uh, shows us how this all fits together. Let me read through that real quickly and just make a couple of comments on these verses. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Paul starts by applying these truths to himself. He says it's only by God's grace that I can say these things to you. See, Paul was not conceited. He knew that his ministry, his ability to help us understand these truths was merely a result of having given himself a living sacrifice to God and God using his body to love us. Paul calls on us not to be conceited. 
Not to think we can do it all ourselves. And not to think that we're the only ones then who've given ourselves to God like this. But to realize we are part of a body of people who've each given themselves completely to God. He uses the the illustration of of a... a physical body with different members, different parts, and each part looks different, feels different, has a different role to play in keeping the body healthy. He says in the same way, we all are different. We look different. We feel different. And we all have a different role to play in, in serving others in ministry. You know, a football team that all tried to do the same thing would be a chaotic mess. And if everybody tried to carry the ball, they'd all run into each other. Or if everybody just blocked one person and let everybody else go. Every once in a while, I'll go out into the backfield and watch the kids here during recess play football. And that's pretty much what it looks like. It's funny. You'll see three guys, three little boys, wrestling over the ball, trying to run it down the field, All each one of them wanting to be the star. Everybody, the whole team goes out for a pass. You know, it's entertaining But it's totally ineffective. It's just chaos. You see, God has a different role for each of us. Each of us is different. You know, one of the other lies of the enemy is that if you give yourself wholeheartedly, completely, entirely to God, He'll just make you into a cookie-cutter Christian, just like all the other Christians, with the same smile on your face, carrying the same size and color Bible, saying the same silly platitudes to everyone you see. You see, God made you unique. He's the one that designed you uniquely. He enjoys your uniqueness. God, your, your uniqueness. God created diversity because He loves diversity. He's not going to level that out, smash all that down. He wants you to be unique. The only thing we really have in common is we belong to the same owner, and He is committed to using each of us uniquely to, to express. His love. You know, one of the things that I like about this church is how diverse it is. We got people here from all walks of life, all sizes and shapes. Some of you are uh, very soft and quiet. Others of you are are uh, loud and abrasive. Some of you are are sophisticated and elegant. Others of you are coarse and crass. But God is using each of you. Each of us belong to Him. And He's expressing His love uniquely through each of you. That's His delight. To express it in, in, in His way, in your way. And Paul describes this starting in verse 6. He says, And since each have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us each exercise them accordingly. He's saying, be yourself. You each have gifts, and those are all different. All of you have gifts. No one was left out when God gave out gifts. But your gifts are your gifts. You're unique. And he says, be yourself. If you happen to have the gift of prophecy, prophesy. If you have the gift of serving, get into it. Enjoy serving others. Every opportunity that you get. Don't wait for somebody to designate you officially teacher. Teach whatever opportunity God gives you. He gave you the gift. He's going to open the doors. Take advantage of those opportunities. 
If you're an encourager, encourage people. Don't worry that you don't do it like somebody else. Do it the way you do it. Let God express himself through you. Now, you may be horrified about the idea of standing up in front of a group and speaking. Well, don't do that. You may be just great at sitting down one-on-one with somebody over a cup of coffee and encouraging them. Do that. You know, I um, am terrified by the idea of leading music. I had a nightmare uh, last week where Bill didn't show up and I had to lead music and we had an orchestra. I haven't a clue how to lead orchestra. I couldn't lead you guys if I tried. It terrifies me just thinking about it. Please never ask me to lead music. But even though I I get very nervous before I stand up here and, and teach, by God's grace, I can do that. See, he's calling each of us to play whatever role he gives us. To stretch ourselves, sure. To to, to try new things, sure. But to be who you are and how he wants to use you. Some of you have the gift of giving, he mentions. That's the, the ability to really serve by making your physical possessions available to others in the body or, or, or your, your money available to meet needs. Paul says if you've got that gift, enjoy it. Get into it. Have fun giving. Give generously. Give unreasonably. Now we're all called to give. We're all called to do almost everything in this list. One time or another. To teach or to to encourage. But just as we are all called, some of us will get or have a special ability to do one or the other of these things. We all need to stand together during this time of transition financially, helping meet the needs of field staff who are way behind on their support or, or the, the, the budget deficit here as a church. But some of you will have a unique ability to give. And Paul says, if that's you, get into it. Enjoy it. Give generously. If you're a leader, do it diligently. Or as the New English Bible puts it, exert yourself to lead. If you're leading a Sunday school class, work at it. Take it seriously. Think through how you can do it better. Lead those kids better. If you're an elder, boy, get into it. Engage yourself in prayer about the needs of this body and think through how the, the, the needs can better be met. If you're leading in some other ministry, think through how your leadership can better serve the people in that ministry. As you lead in your homes, think through how your leadership can better serve. Be diligent. Work at it. If you've got the gift of mercy, you like to comfort those who are hurting, Paul says do it cheerfully. Don't do it weighted down. A little later, in verse 15, Paul encourages these people that have this gift. He says, uh, uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Really listen to people. Really hear them. Let their lives affect you. Let it touch you. That's the way a physical body works. About a month ago, I was uh, working on one of my house projects, and I was working on table saw, and I stuck my thumb in, in the, into the blade. And it hurt. It hurt a lot. But it wasn't just my thumb that noticed. All of me noticed. And in fact, the rest of my body was so concerned for the pain my thumb was in, it stayed up all that night just to be supportive. (laughs) That's the way a body is intended to work. We care. We're involved. See, the point Paul is making is that whatever gift you have, whatever way God wants to use you, 
get into it. This isn't a list of all the possible gifts. This is just some of the gifts so that we catch on to the idea that, that God wants to use each of you uniquely to uniquely express His love through you. But whatever way He does that, get into it. Don't hold back. Start loving people. Start experimenting. Try new things. See what you do well. See what you really like to do. See what really starts to help the people around you. Try new things. Don't hold back, though. Why miss out on the opportunity to, to, to test, to prove God's will is good and acceptable and perfect? Back up in, in, in verse 3, Paul uh, talked about the measure of faith that's been given to each of us. Well, using your gift needs to be an expression of faith, not self-effort. But realize that faith grows as we exercise it. Jesus said in Luke 6, Give and it will be given to you. That first step is to give. The way our faith develops is we step out and we give. And then God gives us more. He gives us more confidence in His ability to use us. He gives us more opportunities and more delight as we see Him use us. In fact, if we don't step out, we begin to lose that confidence that He can use us. Our faith diminishes. We become immobilized. In in Matthew 13, Jesus said, Whoever has, more will be given. Whoever does not have, even that which he has will be taken away. In many ways, this is a use it or lose it situation. If you want to grow, not serving is not an option. But if you will serve, if you will respond to God's call, He will use you remarkably. The critical part is taking that first Step. Now, I don't know, maybe for you that first step is to identify one person in your life who God can use you to to help meet some of their needs. Pray about that one person. Ask God how you can meet a need in their life. Then take them out for a cup of coffee and really listen to them. Or, Or maybe for you the first step is volunteering to help in a Sunday school class. Not teaching yet, just helping. Or maybe the first step for you is, is writing a bigger check than feels good. Helping out with, with, with a field staff who's way behind on their support. Or, or helping us with our, our, our budget deficit here as a church. Maybe the first step is going to your growth group leader and asking if there's somebody in your growth group who you can help out with something. Maybe it's talking to Nick Armstrong about how you might help with some of the Haitian refugees who are just now coming to Boise. I don't know what it is, but look for that first intentional step. Let God show you. See where He takes you. Like I said before, now is the time to respond to these challenges. Now is the time to respond to these opportunities. We have, have... an opportunity to see God work among us. We have an opportunity for every person here to stand up and be counted. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, pleasing to God, which is your rational service of worship. And having done that, flowing out of that, begin to use your spiritual gifts Begin to to love and serve in in this church and in your families. 
And we will see God do things in us and through us like never before. Now is the time for it. Like the Nike ad says, just do it. This morning we're going to be uh, sharing together in communion. This is a perfect time to think through the sacrifice of our bodies to God. Communion is a time that we consider the literal sacrifice of Jesus' body. He, he hung it on a cross. He had a spear thrust into his lifeless body. At that point, Jesus was not a living sacrifice. He was a dying sacrifice. But he died so that we could live. He was a dying sacrifice so that we could be a living sacrifice. I'd like the uh, ushers to come forward to, to distribute the bread. Let me ask, as the, 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 the bread is being passed out, for you to think about the mercies of God. For you to think about how much God loves you. How committed He is to you in sending His Son to be a sacrifice. His body was broken for you. Your sins were paid for by that act. The way to God was opened for you by that act. The, the opportunity to give your body to God was made possible by that act. And I'd like to take uh, this time, as the bread's being passed out, for you to consider, reflect deeply on the mercies of God. If you're new here, what we do is we pass out the elements and hold them together and then all take them together when everyone's been served. And if you're a believer, you're sure welcome to join us. But again, please, use this time to, to reflect deeply on the mercies of God.